Hey everybody, welcome to the Recovering Hypocrite Podcast. Today is Wednesday, February 12th, and I am Noel Jesse Haken and your chief recovering hypocrite around these parts. And I'm thrilled today uh, to have on the podcast Barnabas Piper. And, and I have to tell you why I'm thrilled for multiple reasons, and then he can speak into whether this is true or not. First of all, my favorite podcast, no, second favorite podcast is the Happy Rant Podcast. Um, featuring Barnabas Piper, Ted Cluck, and Ronnie Barton. And so that is just, it's just great to have him on here. Experienced podcaster, he'll be better than I am. Second is he's an author of a bunch of books. I have no idea how many books. Um, but recently re-released his book called Help My Unbelief, Why Doubt is Not the Enemy of Faith. And when I saw that he re-released it, it was, it was, I had this weird moment. It was like, oh, wait, didn't he already write a book about this? Then I was like, oh, he re-released it. So I'm like, oh, um, I should order it because I don't think I ever got around to reading it. So then I ordered it and then Amazon says, you already own it. So it is one of the books that I already have. In fact, I counted today. I have 26 books stacked on my desk. I have six on the end table on the other side of the room and untold number of Kindle books that I haven't read. But yours is not one of them because I finally got done reading it. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's it's always nice to talk to somebody about a book that they have read. So, you know, just to, well, set, just to set the bar there. That's great. Thank you. Well, but you know, you've done enough of these interviews. With, with both of my books, you know when someone has read your book. Oh, yeah. And there, there's three levels, I think. There's the people who have read your book, and they want to engage thoughtfully on it. There's those who got the questions from your publisher uh -huh. and your publicist. And then there's the ones who are flipping through the book while you're talking catch a quote and then want to ask you deeply about that quote and you have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah, there's those. Yeah. And then I think there's even another level. This is usually the Christian radio level where it starts with something like, so you wrote a book and you, and you <laughs> wait for the questions. And that was the question. And, and you have to say something more than I did. I did write a uh, book. True, true story. Worst interview I've ever done uh, was for my first book. And I was doing the interview from a hotel in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, and it was a just the whole thing was a mess. But they threw me the softest of softball questions How has the message of your book impacted your life? And I blanked. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's it. But that means sometimes the more open ended questions are harder to answer because. Because you're waiting, yeah, you're waiting for something to engage a specific theme or something controversial, and all you get is uh, all you get is this very open-ended, like, so what? What inspired you to write this? Uh, uh, life, <laughs> faith. <laughs> well, that leads my first question. I was gonna have for you, and really, all I'm gonna do is your your book had a lot of uh, mic drop moments for me, uh, reading through it, which is why I wanted to talk to you about it, and so I grabbed all the, the mic drop moments. Instead of asking questions, I'm going to read you your own mic drops, and then we'll see where we talk from there. But I don't know if that's terrifying. But no, that's, I, I hate when people do that to me. But that's This is great because it's, I never remember what I wrote after I wrote it. You might be like true. that, which means when people oh, read yeah. it back to me, I occasionally have the, the you know that realization. I'm like, oh, that was pretty good. I like that. Yeah, so I am I'm, way I'm hoping, smarter than I thought. I'm hoping for one of those. Yeah, so, but I am going to ask you the open-ended question first. Why did you re-release this book? So, obviously, I could ask you why you wrote it, mm -hmm. but why why drop it a second time? So, that's there's actually a fairly pragmatic answer to that, which is I, I published this book and then my first book, which was called The Pastor's Kid, with a publishing company who has been through multiple management changes since then. And, uh, and it has been... It, it just 
it kind of got bumped further and further into the backlist. Time does that anyway, but I didn't have relationships with anybody at the publisher anymore um, and was increasingly frustrated that the books were never at the places where the people who I connect with most are. So your Gospel Coalition conferences, you're together for the gospel, you're, you know, just the, the, the generally reformed world. It was never at any of the conferences because that publisher wasn't there. So they were kind enough to release the rights back to me and I could bring them to the Good Book Company, um, who is it a smaller publishing company, but has increasingly been coming out with really excellent books by authors who I have a lot of respect for. So I was excited to get there. Uh, and then we just, we, we refreshed it and added a little bit, but it was mostly just to kind of breathe fresh life, put it in the hands of a publisher who would care for it well. And I've had a great experience working with good books. So it was, it was mostly just that. No, that's awesome. So did, did you add a lot? So I read, honestly, I need to buy the second one just to support an author, but I, uh, I went back and read the first mm -hmm. one. So that's the edition that I have. Is there a lot of difference between the two? Not a, not an enormous amount. The, the biggest differences are dropped in three or four, um, kind of stories or testimonies of people's engagements with faith and doubt from different pers uh, perspectives. So, um, a Muslim coming to faith. One was the story of C.S. Lewis, kind of the the intellectual faith and doubt. Um, another was the story of my dad, uh, John Piper, uh, kind of wrestling with texts in Scripture that you can't come to terms with, but you so you know they're true, but you don't want to believe them. Those kinds of things, um, and then just refreshing it to to reflect changes in in life and some of the things that have happened since then, because um, it's been. Let's see. It came out in 2015. So, yeah, I guess it's been about five years since it released originally. So not an enormous amount. You know, it would, there was no sort of recanting or reshaping of arguments or anything like that. All right. So let me throw a couple of your quotes back at you. And and these are just, like I said, the mic drop moments for me in the book. And I'm just going to throw them out there and then we'll just chat. We'll just see what happens. Um, so and I'm going to go straight through the book in order as I wrote them down. So the first one is Christians who, who don't know the tension of I believe help my unbelief might not be Christians at all, or at least they might be very infantile ones. <laughs> now that's, that was, I, I thought, okay, that was on, by the way, I think page 28. So you were like poking the bear right up front. Yeah, which I, I think I come by that trait, honestly, from my parents. My, my dad likes to, you know, he doesn't, doesn't give a lot of precursor when he preaches or writes. And so he just jumps right in. So I think, I think I learned the style from him, but um, yeah, after five years, I stand by that statement. I think the, to me, that, that sentence, I believe help my unbelief out of Mark nine is, is a paradigm for a, a Christian who is either struggling or growing or both, because at any given time, a, a Christian who is aware of both their sin and of God's work in their life is going to recognize, I really suck in a lot of ways, or I really have massive questions that I don't have answers to. Uh, but also, I have things that I can anchor my faith in. I know certain things are true about God. I have faith in the, the reliability of Scripture, etc. So if, if, we, if you can't express that dual reality, it, it makes me wonder, wait, what, what Christianity do you have? Are you out of touch with who you are as a sinner who's in need of a savior? Are you out of touch with what you actually believe? So either you don't believe or you don't think you have unbelief. That's one of those two things is true if you can't 
wrap your arms around that. And in either case, that's a that's problematic because both of those things are true all the time this side of heaven. Well, yeah, there it's it is something you touch on quite a bit. In the book is the um, already and not yet part of our faith. I, often people talk about that in kingdom language, but to talk about it in in our sanctification is a different mm-hmm. thing, or our, our experience here is completely a different thing. Yeah, it's. I think. Yeah, it, when I was introduced to that that already but not yet, it was in is you know it was a theology class, and it's speaking much more about sort of the the eras and epochs of the kingdom of Christ, in which it makes a lot of sense and is very valuable, but it it means much more to me in the reality of I am already saved and I am not yet completely sanctified and I won't be until I am face to face with Jesus either after death or if he comes back prior. Mm-hmm. And so that already in in the saving arms of Christ, not yet out of the woods as a sinner is is a pretty pointed already but not yet that I if if we don't feel that tension we're pretty out of touch with what it means to be a Christian, I think. Yeah, yeah, and and to quote one of my favorite authors, um, my, myself, um, <laughs> in one of my books. <laughs> no, I talk about. It's the real fact hard to disagree with that. I I also it, it, like <laughs> myself as an author. <laughs> but uh, one of the things I talk about is we have this. The reason we feel this tension as a follower of Christ is I think that we are seated at the right hand of God the Father already. We are positionally in Christ. And everything in us is longing to be caught up in that. Mm-hmm. And so we just feel that that's where some of that tension lies. I think before we come to faith, the, the, the tension that we have is, I'm, I'm not actually that bad, comparatively speaking, with the rest of the world. Or we feel some of that general, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit, you know, calling out like the hound of heaven on our soul and then we become a follower of christ and and i think it flips and some people treat it again like oh i've got to perform to to make jesus happy with me but i think what it is is there's an unsettledness where we want to be caught up in what is actually true about ourselves and we can't be and that's where and the doubt flows from that the tension of belief flows from that all of that Mm -hmm. flows from that that unsettledness yeah, I mean, and I think you can see it in like in Romans 7, you know, where Paul writes about basically he is not who he desires to be. He's not who he's supposed to be. He still does the things he wouldn't he doesn't want to be doing anymore. And this this tension as a I mean, I guess some people say that is pre Paul becoming a believer. I think that's yeah, wrong. I don't buy it. Um, I, I to me, that resonates with the experience of somebody who is in Christ desiring to follow Christ in the Holy Spirit, but also sucks at it. So, I mean, I read, I read that in, in Mark 9, I read it in Romans 7, and it's, it is a, a very much a, like you said, it's a, it is a desire to be fully in the, you know, at the right hand of God in just this, this perfected state and recognizing more and more how, how far we are from that. You know, I wonder even the book of Hebrews talks so much about the the shadows that we have in all of the things like the tabernacle and the law and the high priest and all of those that are, it's almost like it, it's heaven breaking in with this little imperfect shadow to let us know about something we can't quite wrap our head around. Right. And that's our whole Christian experience. Yeah. 
I mean, that's that goes to the next quote that um, I'm going to read two different quotes back to back. But one of the things you said is you said, uh, what the Bible reveals of God is precisely what God wanted revealed of himself, no more and no less, but it isn't everything about him. God is infinite beyond our understanding, and he chose to reveal himself to us in a way that sparks questions rather than settles them all or settles all of them. That was that's that's great. <laughs> yeah, that I arrived at that from being frustrated at my Bible's inability to complete a systematic theology for me. It, Thank you. Like I, there is, there is not a, a systematic theology on my shelf that I feel like at some point they just throw up their hands and presume a worldview that they've been building for mm-hmm. 85, 90% of the book. Right. And then they're like, this last 10% doesn't make sense. So I'm going to jam it in. Well, and, and that can be done very poorly or it can be done very worshipfully where you say, you know, again, the Bible does provide exactly what God wants us to know about him. And some of those things are very, uh, you know, you can you can teach very clearly, organize very well, put into into clear terms, and then you get to some things that you're like, yeah, this falls under his knowledge is too wonderful for us, and which is one of the things God also tells us about Himself. So there's a I found freedom once I got to the point of not feeling like the Bible was supposed to give me every explanation of how God does what He does, why God does what He does, when is God going to do what He's going to do, um. You know, whether that's how the how the create how creation was formed, you know, you got young earth, old earth, whatever. I'm like, I don't I don't see a lot of clear answers in scripture on that. I see very clear answers that God created things. So I got that one down. When, how, and in what order and over how many years, I don't know. It's not written there. And, you know, and questions about suffering, you know, why, the why questions of you know, even so, so something like Romans eight twenty eight, God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose, gets placed as a comfort verse on suffering. But in context, that verse is a, is a verse about eternity. It's not a verse about you're going to feel fine after bad things happen. Um, and so just to step back and go, this is a book of... This is a book designed to both give us a window into the infinite that we can't fully understand, but also give us things that we absolutely can understand for life and faith and and following Christ was very comforting to me because all of a sudden I was like, oh, it's okay to just go, I don't know, I don't understand, mm. and I don't think God intends me to understand all of that now or maybe not for a good portion of eternity. I'm not sure. All right, I'm going to read a sentence to you and ask you where you got it from. I'm going to presume okay. the answer. I believe in a thing called love. <laughs> uh, I, I'm bad at pulling. I'm bad at pulling. Please tell me that was the darkness, right? Yeah. Isn't it the darkness? Isn't that the name of the band? I'm terrible at band names, but I, okay. I can I can hear it when in you, my head. So, so here's the question. When you were writing that sentence, so I got to date this. You said it was five years ago. I don't remember when that song came out. When you're writing that, did you laugh to yourself? Do you recall? Because that would have been something in my one of my books. I would have written and laughed at myself and thought, no one's going to get this. I think this is hilarious. I'm quoting this song. Uh, probably. Yeah. I don't okay. remember that. I, I do things like that. So, yeah, there are definitely things that I sneak in. I usually try to do more. Like I try to, I try to put, you know, 15 in, in the hopes that five will make it past an editor. Um, <laughs> things like that. You know, you just kind of push the envelope a little bit and see what the editor doesn't catch or is okay with either one. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a fun game, isn't it? <laughs> I, I have to, so, I have to assume a good editor knows when an author is playing it, but maybe not. It's, it is fun though. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think they gave up on me in my second book because my, fr- I had the same publisher for both books, and in the first book, they edited out a lot of color, we shall say. <laughs> and in the second book. We fought. I had a different title that I wanted, mm-hmm. and we fought, and we fought, and we fought about that title. And they just, in fact, I put, we put, they pushed up the food chain twice, and it came back down t- twice with a no. And finally, we went with a different title, and it was fine. Um, and then when it came to the content of the book, I threw the same phrase into the content of the book uh, multiple times. It got taken off the cover, and they didn't take out any of the color in my second book. Like, it's almost like they gave up. And I wonder if it's because there was a large chain of Christian bookstores that were no longer going to be carrying my book because they were no longer going to be open. They were no longer going to be carrying any books. Yeah. So I wondered if that cleared the lane for that. I wonder if my original title could have made it. That's a good question. Yeah, there are having, without naming any names, I may have formerly worked at a company attached to said large chain. And uh, yeah, there there were definitely sort of it was sort of customer sensor behavior where if a customer complained and it you know and it got elevated up above a manager, stuff could get pulled very easily. And yeah, so if you used certain language or illusions or whatever, um, I will say one of my favorite experiences of getting stuff either past an editor or in collusion with an editor. I'm not sure which was. I got a Netflix and Chill reference into my third book, um, The Curious Christian. And, and so I, you know, that's in there, which I was very proud of. And then, uh, they excerpted it and used that as an article in a Christian magazine for like retirees (laughs) and, uh, published by, published by Lifeway, who was my employer at the time. So the book was published by B and H, which was Lifeway's book imprint then this article gets excerpted so that gets sent back with a complaint and goes all the way to the uh to like the director levels of lifeway and they can't do anything because they published the book and so like they published the book and the magazine and it was written by an employee and i was just like this is like you have editors you got past them twice so yeah i was very you got a lot lot of editors i felt yeah, yeah i was i was very pleased with that one all right. So uh, getting into more serious stuff, here's this was a big mic drop. I read it twice, and this is from two different pages that are five pages apart, but I'm going to put them together here. It basically says, if God does not abide by their framework of understanding, he is either not good or does not exist. That that is the worldview of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And they said again, that if God does not abide by our framework of under, or, or of understanding, he is either not good or does not exist. And then it's, you wrote, when we aren't forgetting God, we're often trying to release him from responsibility for things we don't understand by diminishing his knowledge of events or ability to impose himself on the choices of people. I don't have a question for that. I'm just like, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's ex- that that you just wrapped up the human experience right there, especially the modern Western yeah. human experience. Well, and it's and I think that's just as just as prevalent in the church as it is outside. The the God doesn't exist or God isn't good is a is a pretty 
you know, secular mindset. The diminishing of God and trying to, quote unquote, let him off the hook for things is a very church experience. Um, you know, you'll, you'll hear people say things like, well, you know, God allows evil, but God doesn't ordain evil. Like, that's, that's just verbal gymnastics. Because if you say God is sovereign and he allows something— he's respond like there there he owns the responsibility for that at a at a cosmic level now we're getting into mysterious things that we can't fully explain but there there are those kinds of those kinds of things i mean when when i was in high school open theism was was the uh, the current you know heretical rage and, and it was so, out, and it was out of the city that you were living in yeah so well yes yeah. the two the two primary spokespeople on opposite sides were pastors in the same city which would be my dad and Greg Boyd in the same denomination um and so yeah it was a good time but but the open theism is another instance of tr- seemingly trying to let god off the hook cuz if you can't it's sort of it seems like working backwards into a theology where you're like well we can't we can't uh, justify in our minds a good God and so much evil, a good God sending people to hell, whatever whatever your you know your sort of circumstantial hangup is, and so we back our way into well God must not be in control or God must not know or whatever, and so you you end up shrinking God to less than what God says He is, and it's yeah, and we do it all the time. We oh yeah we collectively. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm working through Hebrews right now with our church, and just the the number of things in here where it'd be easy to say, "Man, I want to explain away the plagues or mm-hmm. uh, Passover or or the, uh, the amount of blood on the in the temple." That's this weekend, or in a couple, couple coming coming weeks, the the terrifying judgment of God yeah. is coming in a couple weeks. That phrase and. One of the things I, I'm going to use this weekend, and we'll see how well it goes, is the idea that um, we tend to zone out sometimes when we're reading scripture. And I think we zone out not in a, uh, I'm not listening, I'm bored sense, but we zone out in even, either thinking, this is not reality. Mm-hmm. What I, the, the idea of the temple with the blood splattered everywhere and everything, this is not reality. Yeah. It's just a store. Or we think, oh, they were so primitive. Yeah. And in both of those, the, the, both of those are intellectually lazy and uh, arrogant, but they both, we, we end up like, we just zoned out. And so then we come face to face with what's really on the page. It, it's wild. Yeah. Cha- it, 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 yeah. And we don't know what to do with this. So we try to explain it away or we say, God must not be like that. Or, and, and both of those mindsets, which I completely agree that we do that, Complete. They disregard the fact that, you know, God said to do things this way. You know, when God said, I mean, that's what the Levitical law is. It's a whole series of explanations of which animal to kill for what. I mean, along with along with a, a number of other pieces, but so much of it is, you know, turtle doves for this, and an un, and an un, you know, blemished lamb for this, and bulls for this, and goats for this, and because because blood was the cost of sin which is also indicative of how we should view our own selves and our own sins and then Christ. I mean, that's, that's how this thread pulls together. And uh, yeah, and it, we just, we, we don't want to read that. I mean, I just, just this morning I was finishing up Second Samuel and there's just, it is so clear, like after David and Absalom have their conflict and, 
and David is basically making judgments of who should be punished and who should not and when they should be punished and who should, you know, whose lives should be exchanged for whom. This is clear that that God's God places a a genuine value on human life. But there's also a cost when human life is discarded. So a, a life for a life in in that in that way now post Christ the life for a life in a lot of ways was was solved but those are really hard things to stomach and it's a lot easier to say yeah that was just that was kind of a savage time it's kind of a savage warlike time as as if we are less so now but yeah we that diminishes who god is it diminishes who god's people were it's like it's basically like well well god was working with the jv team back then and he's got the varsity team now yeah like somebody who we both know who uh, used to say uh I don't like the pu- prepubescent God in the Old Testament, but then he matured and, you know, yeah. grew up in the New Testament with Jesus. So, um, so, um, so I'm shifting gears completely to parenting. So All right. you, you have, you have how many kids and how old are they? I have two daughters who are 14 and 11. 14 and 11. Okay. So the part of your book that was really practical and there wasn't a lot that was really practical. I think that was kind of the point of the book <laughs> is that is the parenting. There's a little parenting chunk in there mm-hmm. and you, you talk about engaging with your kids. So I just want to read this section. It says, this is why we must begin engaging the wild things, the questions, the doubts, and teach our kids to do the same bit by bit as they mature. Engaging may leave you bruised and battered, but naively waiting for the doubts to come get you could leave your faith uh, mangled and permanently maimed. So you have obviously um, written a book about being a fairly famous pastor's kid and what that was all like for you and all of that, and as well as now being a parent of a couple of kids. And by the way, your dad recommended to my son that he read your book, so I'm not sure what that means. Well, that's encouraging because it means my dad's not pretending it doesn't exist at the very least. So, I mean, well, re- recommending so, is one thing. Acknowledging is another. I mean, this is – I feel great. He Like he literally – recommended to my son that he go get your book. Wow. So I should thank, I, I should I, thank my dad. That's great. Well, I, I'm not sure what that means about my relationship with my son or your relationship <laughs> with your dad, but we'll just leave that to go. But, but talk a bit about just the experience of parenting from that paradigm and yeah. however much you want to talk about your own experience growing up and how much you want to not talk about that is cool with me. But just this whole yeah. idea of teaching our kids to engage doubts and questions and instead of just naively waiting for them to come spring themselves on your kids. Talk about that to parents who are listening. Yeah, I, and man, talking about parenting always makes me cringe because I go through every day thinking I don't really know what I'm doing. Um, I, you know, I, I think in regards to faith and doubt, um, what I see as a significant shortcoming of a lot of Christian parenting is trying to, to build what amounts to a it's sort of a straw castle that your kids can live in, in terms of in terms of arguments and 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 fending off things and and sheltering them from difficult questions or even difficult passages. Like look at Bible story books, none of them engage like those middle chapters in Genesis that are so awkward to read with kids, or the end of Jonah, or the end of Jonah, or yeah, I mean like there's just the Bible is is the judges don't show up in kids things either. You're like, wait, the left-handed guy did what with the sword to the fat king? Like what happened? (laughs) Um, Whereas, 
you know, thankfully, like my parents, my parents insisted that I would read the Bible growing up. So I'd be like, all right, 10 minutes before you go to school. And they'd be like, go read Joshua Judges first and second. So they're like, it's basically war stories. It's your favorite thing as an eight-year-old. Like, have fun. And so it, 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 it allowed me then in the context of the theology that we were being taught to kind of make dot-to-dot -dot connections of the theology, big theology of God with these stories of God's people. And, you know, those things came to fruition later. But I think we over-shelter kids from hard things whether that's news stories or Bible stories. And then we we also tend to have the, the attitude that, you know, if you do these five things, your child is going to walk with the Lord. You know, so we sort of turn a proverb into a promise, you know, raise up a child in the way he should go and he won't depart from it. I'm like, well, that's a principle, not a promise. And, and so what I've tried to do with that, and I don't know, you know, time will tell how, how my children respond is just leaving the door wide open for questions, not ducking difficult realities. Um, you know, our life has created some difficult realities. Just, I got uh, I got divorced a few years ago and that wasn't something I was, I was you know, looking for. And, um, you know, not to get too much into it, but, you know, walking with my kids through that and and then in the, in the years since trying to figure out how do I maintain the right kind of, respect for their mom we have joint custody so those kinds of things i mean these are just the harsh realities of life that i have to try to help them understand jesus in the midst of so and i'm thankful for those things because if everything was good they're more likely to get deflated when bad things happen whereas now they can look at christ when the bad things happen and go oh yeah i've seen him show up like before or i've seen mm. i've seen dad follow him through this and those kinds of things and so yeah, I, I just think there's a, I think an open-handed uh, realism to raising kids to trust God in hard things and to ease up the pressure on ourselves to be the Holy Spirit. You can't make your kid believe anything. Nobody has ever made me believe a thing except the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and so it's, it's just putting, I think it's trying to put your kids in the path of the spirit. So that's in the path of scripture, in the path of a healthy church community, in the path of fellow believers who are going to be the right kind of conversational influence and behavioral influence and, and, you know, counselor and those kinds of things. And then it's just praying. And, and again, never shy away from the hard questions. If your kid brings you a hard question, it's okay to go, I don't really know. I don't, I don't know that God wants us to totally understand that. Here's what I do understand. Here's what I don't understand. And it's really good for your kids to realize that, oh, adults don't have it together because it takes pressure off them as they get older. Yeah. I was under the impression I needed to have all the same answers my dad has um, when I was, you know, 14. And at 25, I was like, I don't have any of them. Or I don't have a, is it? And so I felt like I, there was sort of a, a failure and a gap in my faith. And I don't think that was, I don't put that on my dad. That don't, that, that don't think that's his fault by any means. But I want my kids to look at me and go, you learn as you, you learn as you follow Jesus. There's not sort of an achievement level of this is faith. And until I get there, like I'm just a failure. Yeah. You know, I think parents uh, don't give themselves enough grace 
it's almost like, and I don't know what it is, if it's, if this is a modern problem or if it's historically been a problem, but we presume that we can create the perfect child that we can parent perfectly. And then the flip side is almost a, um, there's almost like a flippant, uh, mommies who parent badly, but I'm going to go day drink, uh, you know, internet thing going on at the same time. So it's almost like the, the, the harsh reality that's in the middle of those two things that, that gives ourselves a little bit of grace and says, we're going to screw this up a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, we're going to have to save for both, uh, you know, college and therapy. Uh, you know, the, the whole, the whole, uh, um, you know, my wife and I talk about this. We, I had this talk with my son who's about to turn 21. Uh, we just talked about this in, in the last couple months. Uh, I, I basically said, we always knew that there were going to be places where we shot arrows into your little soul when you were a kid and we didn't realize it. And we did things that you're that. And, and some stuff kind of came out in a conversation with that with him. Yeah. And I said, I always thought it was this one thing that I did. And he and I told him, and he goes, no, I don't even remember that. You know, so I think that one way or the other, we're going to do that. And I want to read a part of your book as an encouragement to parents, because I think this is true. You wrote this uh, not in that same section. I don't think it was another section, but it applies to kids. And it's this belief happens in an ecosystem in which it grows organically. When a person plants a garden, she can follow all the steps, fertilize, plant, water, weed, and still plants might die. Animals might eat the produce. Storms might destroy the plants. All those steps help a garden grow, but God is the one who gives the growth. That's how belief works too. And that's how belief works with your kids. Mm-hmm. You can't, don't give yourself a little bit of grace in your parenting of your kids. Yeah, I Man, I this is this is that moment where I'm like, man, that was good. Uh, what I wrote is the thing I needed to hear today. Um, and yeah, it's. Uh, I want to. I think I would like to clarify one thing in what I said, and that is the word organic, which is I think it's a buzzier word now than it used to be. Organic doesn't mean unintentional, or it, it is often used that way. In, and I think to the detriment of of healthy relationships, healthy growth, whatever. When I say organic, I just mean like it is the, the natural process of growth, not, not a, you know, this isn't like we can't create belief in a lab type of thing. And so I don't want it. I, what I don't want people to hear is the sort of the buzzword definition of organic is like, we just kind of let things happen. No, you, we really ought to take all the steps of cultivating for our kids. Um, but it's like, you know, Paul planted Apollos watered, the Lord gave the growth. You know, one parent planted, another parent watered, and God gives the growth. And and sometimes God gives growth when neither parent does those things because mm-hmm. because miracles happen. Yeah, and the Holy Spirit's influence, obviously. Yeah. I mean, th- and, and this is, I'm going to close with my, uh, probably one of my favorite quotes from the book. You said, a beautiful collision it is when a soul driving toward a cliff called rebellion and self-rule is steered back into the path of God's grace. In a magnificently violent moment, the old self is killed and in its place is put a new self filled with God's spirit, filled with hope, filled with peace, and pointed down the road toward the not yet. And the new self will struggle to drive it straight. It'll drift and even turn hard toward the cliff. I... Uh, the beautiful imagery there of of what God does 
uh, with errant souls like ours. Yeah. <laughs> Constantly, violently taking us out of our, our steering toward the cliff. When I'm, I'm encouraged, you know, sometimes when you write something, you come back later and you go, ooh, I don't know if that, I don't know if I would still say it just like that. I don't know if that holds up. But I mean, I was just praying yesterday and thanking God for keeping me saved. You know, just, and it's been, it's probably been six years since I wrote that because the book came out five years ago. So six years later, there's still that pull towards the cliff and there's still the Holy Spirit pulling it back on the road that it needs to be on. And, and it just stays true. Mm. That's so true. So I'm going to, I'm going to leave it at that. I really do recommend this book to everybody listening. It's helped my unbelief. Why doubt is not the enemy of faith by Barnabas Piper. And and please check out the happy rant podcast. It is um, at least three or four percentage points better than this one. Um, <laughs> at least just, just um, outside of standard deviation. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it, it could be a statistical error, but it's slightly, slightly greater than that. So appreciate you, Barnabas. Keep rocking. Keep doing what you're doing. Uh, I trust that God will keep pulling you back from the cliff. Well, thank you. It's been great being on with you.